I'm Joel. I'm the lead pastor at the tab, and we're just so great, grateful that uh, you're with us today, uh, worshiping. We just sense God's presence among us, and we are finishing a series today on family on mission. So, we, so this is our fifth Sunday talking about this topic. Kiara preached here last week. Um, there were some other people preaching before that. I can't remember who, Um, but it's been a really good series. And I'm excited for today because as we talk about this topic, family on mission, we have, and there's so much we could say, no no way we're going to cover it in like, just like five sermons. Um, But we have to talk about some of the hard things, right? Because to be a family on mission, I feel like this series so far has been like, you have a place and you have gifts and all those things are true. But we also have to talk about what we do when things get difficult in the family. Because inevitably, they will. They do at the Gospel Tab. They do in the Greenhouse Network. They do in our movement. And I'll be saying more about that. So uh, to look at this, uh, talk about this today, we're going to be looking at the stories of two women who I hope you've heard about before in the New Testament. But if you haven't, it's cool because you'll hear about them today. But their names are Euodia. Can everyone say Euodia? Yeah. yeah. And Syntyche. Can everyone say Syntyche? Yeah, Euodia and Syntyche. You got to say it like that. All right, so you're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4, and it will be on the screen, and we'll read the passage together. But you can get there on your device or in your Bible if you want. But as, as we get set up, if I can just share some things from my heart. So first of all, it was already mentioned, you guys are still on top of it, which I'm glad for, but next Sunday we will be combined. And uh, we will be up at the Crestmont campus. Um, We're going to do this every eight weeks or so, but you have two of them coming up closely. Uh, One at Easter, but one is next week, and it's because a friend of mine, Tim Meyer, is going to be preaching. He's coming from the National Office of the Christian Missionary Alliance to... uh, Um, to share with us something that God has put on his heart. He's very aware of everything that's happening with the Gospel Tab uh, regarding transitions that are happening, my transition from this lead pastor role. And so as all of those things are happening, um, the national office is just really rooting for us. Our Alliance family is rooting for us. And Tim wants to come out and share some things that are on his heart. And I think it's going to be like a real benefit of... uh, you know, being in different locations and then getting together. You know how you know how Easter is at the Gospel Tab? Like, it's such a party. Well, we're going to get to do that, like, every eight weeks, you know? Um, just combine and worship till we don't have any more voice, all right? So we'd love it if, if you were there this next week. It's going to be a great Sunday. And we're going to do some family things together, like dedicate our kids and stuff like that. Those Sundays will be really important. Uh, for us to come together. So, like Yara said, don't come here next Sunday. Go up to Crestmont. Okay, the same time at 10 o'clock, right? Secondly, I just want you to know that we are continuing just to work through the details of what it means to worship in two locations in this way. And part of that is the children's ministry. And so there is a campus team that stewards some of the details at this campus and will actually be forming one up at Crestmont soon as well. And that team's actually meeting today and this will certainly be on the topic of conversation is just what does it look like to build from the ground up a children's ministry at this location. The last time we worshiped in two locations, we basically just tried to copy the children's ministry from Crestmont down here. And for a bunch of reasons that just didn't work. 
uh, we didn't have the resources for it. And I think this is one thing God is teaching us in this season of multiplication is what it looks like to let things emerge from the ground up and to be okay with them looking different and to take responsibility for them and all those kinds of things. So you'll be hearing more information about that soon in the next few weeks. I just want to let you know that we needed a few weeks just to see who was even going to be worshiping here and understanding what the resources and the needs were. Um, But it's going to let us begin to build. And so you'll be hearing uh, some of that from us. Thirdly, I just want to say um, multiplication, and I'll say more about this next week. I'm not preaching, but, but God has put some stuff on my heart to share with you next week when we combine together. I want you to know that anytime we lean into multiplication, and it's as true as it is at the Gospel Tab as it is in the Greenhouse Network, anytime we lean into multiplication, we are leaning into death. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are letting things die for something that God has called us to. Um, But here's the good news about death in the kingdom of God. Graves become the places where life springs forth out of. Right? That's our theology. That's what we believe about graves in the kingdom of God. That they're just the place that resurrection comes out of. And I think for a bunch of reasons I'll speak more to next week, we are so not used to multiplication in the American church, although it was the way the early church uh, moved in the New Testament, but it's so foreign to us. We have, we have made success all about bigness and collection of people and resources instead of giving ourselves away that that death that comes with multiplication can feel really painful and it can even feel wrong it can be like wait a second is this what, is this what it's supposed to be like is this what it's supposed to be like to follow jesus and both campuses in their own ways are feeling some of the death that comes along with multiplication and i'll speak more to that next week Um, But it's not just up the hill, it's down here too. There's some real limitations that this campus, like one of them is space. Like, what are we going to do? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I really don't. But what I believe is every time we choose to die to something, like, why would we choose this? We have so much space, you know, up the hill. Well, when we choose something like this, we open up space for God to do the next thing, to do the new thing, the unexpected thing. So I just want to tell you this, anywhere you're feeling death or the pinch of this, it is the place to begin praying. And not just praying that your leaders will figure it out, but saying, God, what what role am I supposed to play in this? What am I supposed to do? What are you calling me to in this, right? Because I believe that God is going to do things that we couldn't have even dreamed of, right? And and down here, it's important that we solve this limitation issue because the space issue, because Kiara and I were talking, when a room is full like this, and there's not even that many of us here, right? It's just a little room. But when, when the room is full like this, it's very easy to begin thinking that we have everyone at the table, right? It's very easy to begin thinking, oh, everyone's already here table's full. But in the kingdom of God, the table is always extending, right? So we have to ask the question, what does it look like for the table to extend here on Franklin Avenue? I don't know the answer to that. And and honestly, I'm not like all stressed out trying to solve it because I believe God is going to speak to us, right? Um, And leaning into this is letting us do this as a family. So I, I hope you feel all of that. Okay, today we're talking about conflict, 
Because it's going to happen in the family. Like, guys, I want you to know this. Um, I'm so glad for the move of God that has started among us in the last few years. It has felt like renewal and the beginnings of revival in our region in many ways. And I'm so grateful for that. But I want you to know this. We are a real family with real people in it. More than that, we have a lot of strong leaders in our little movement. A lot of really gifted people who have chosen smaller spaces. They, I, I, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about some other leaders. There are leaders in the ecosystem of the Gospel Tab and the Greenhouse Network who really could have platforms, who really could be working at bigger places, on bigger stages. Um, but we, our movement has, is filled with these leaders that have chosen smaller spaces. And often at cost to themselves. If I can, I'm on my way out, so I can say all kinds of things now. Um, just so you know, that often comes with less personal resources. It comes with less comfort. It comes with more risk, right? But you have so many leaders who chose this out of conviction, believing that God works in these small spaces, right? That God works in these small, like, kind of environments. But what it means is there's a lot of really gifted leaders in close proximity to each other. And I just want you to know that normally does not go very well. Um, it normally doesn't go very well because really gifted people tend to have big egos as well. But over the years, we've seen something different here at the Gospel Tab, a kind of diligence in our relationships that when conflict pops up between us, we try to deal with it in a God-honoring way. And I'm not saying we've done it perfectly. We certainly haven't. But I do see this diligence, even this vigilance, vigilance in diligence, um, this carefulness to pay attention to where conflict might be coming up between us. And, and I want you to know, I, I hope you feel and sense the close bonds and relationship between the leaders around here. But honestly, I can also tell you we have had a lot of disagreements, a lot of conflicts between us over the years. Even the people I work with closest with, I've had significant disagreements with over the years. That has been part of our story. And I love Philippians chapter four because it gets normalized for us in the church. Paul doesn't seem surprised by this. He's not surprised that two really gifted leaders are disagreeing with each other. And he gives some instructions here at the end of his letter to the Philippians about what they should do. I'm excited to share this with you today. Um, let me just give you some context. Paul is writing to the church that he planted in the ancient city of Philippi. Whoa. The ancient city of Philippi, which was a Roman colony. And this church has been a source of exceeding joy for Paul. Um, there's other churches that really get under his skin in some ways he has to correct this church you can tell he has a special place in his heart for them he is just filled with affectionate language for them when he writes to them he he has good memories with the, these people these are people that he really got along with um, that he did ministry with they got stuff done together right this church got planted in this city it's a cool story you can read about in the book of Acts. A dream led Paul 
to this city. The first woman who came to faith, the first person who came to faith there was a woman named Lydia. And then the gospel spread into her household. And now is, by the time Paul writes this, there's probably a whole network of house churches meeting in this city. But he gives some final instructions at the end of this very affectionate letter. He gives some instructions because he's concerned about a conflict that has arisen in the church. And he mentions some names here. By the way, in the customs of, of writing letters in the ancient world, it's very uncommon for names to be mentioned for whatever reason, much less the names of women because uh, of the patriarchal society of, of the ancient world. Um, very uncommon for women to even be dignified in being mentioned by name in a letter. Um, but Paul does here, he mentions Yodia and Syntyche and another person, Clement, because these three people probably were part of his church planting team. And now they're leaders in the church. And he's concerned because these two women, Yodia and Syntyche, a conflict has arisen between them. And, and we think Paul would not be addressing it this way in a letter if the conflict had not somehow become public. So the church knows about it. Paul is talking about it like it's a known thing that these two women who are leaders in the church are not getting along and word has, has spread. Now, Paul, very interestingly, he doesn't get into the details of what the conflict is. And when we're interpreting these letters, we're always left to wonder, like, what is Paul actually addressing? Like, what was the conflict? What did they disagree? But I think as the Holy Spirit inspired this letter from Paul to the church in Philippi, I think the details are purposefully left out because it really doesn't matter, right? Because I know these are two ministry leaders who probably helped Paul plant a church, I tend to think that their disagreement happened around something related to ministry. They just didn't see eye to eye on a direction or something that should happen, and they disagreed about it. So that's what I imagine. But maybe it was more petty than that. You know what I mean? Like, maybe they just didn't like each other's food or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Um, but I tend to think that the disagreement happened like in a, in a space of ministry. And, and Paul writes to address this. Now, can I make it one huge qualifying statement that, that needs to qualify everything I'm saying today? There are places in the New Testament where Paul mentions other people by name and says, stay away from them. Do not even eat a meal with them. Now, why, why would Paul use that strong language? Because Paul takes seriously his concern to protect the church. And I have to say this because sometimes in an effort to show mercy, we let people around the church who are here to hurt the church, to hurt the people of the church. And Paul shows no tolerance for that. And we say it here at the Gospel Tab, and I'll just say it again. Anybody is welcome here anybody. But if you're here to hurt somebody, quite frankly, you're not. You're not welcome here. And maybe we'll meet you out there, but you're not welcome here because we take seriously our responsibility to protect the church. But that is not what Paul is talking about when he, he let me just say one more thing about that. Paul does not use mercy as an excuse to put the church in danger. That's what I'm saying. All right. Um, he can't spiritualize that. He takes seriously his role as a leader to protect. But that's not what he's talking about here. These are two women who he loves and trusts, probably gifted, good leaders. He, he was in ministry with them. 
These are not people who are dangerous to the church. And yet they've had a disagreement and now their disagreement is threatening the church, right? Because they're influential leaders probably and you can imagine that people are starting to take sides, right? This house church on this side of the city is saying, well, Yodia is who we know and is close to. And this church on this side of the city is saying, well, Syntyche is, you know, who we follow and we know her and she's leading and... And poor Clement, I don't know where he is in this. He's just stuck. <laughs> All right. So let's read this, and then, then I'll walk us through it. Philippians 4, he's ending his letter. We'll begin in verse 2. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And then verse four and six, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. We'll stop there. Now, I don't know how your Bible is set up. In my Bible, there's these English uh, you know, titles on sections of the scripture and there's spaces in between right? And the people who translated this into English, and I'm reading out the New International Version. It's a good translation. Most translations are pretty solid. Um, they split up verses four and five from verses two and three. I don't know if it's that way in your Bible. There's a different English heading. Well, you know, those English headings are not part of the scriptures. They're helpful for us uh, to read and to understand, but they're not in the Greek. As a matter of fact, do you know this? The Greek Bible that I used in my theological studies was split up into paragraphs and Greek words. It's still on my shelf. That's what we translated out of when we translated out of the Greek. But even that is to help English readers because the original Greek language is all capitalized, no punctuation, no paragraphs, no spaces, right? So it's just... Just start and don't stop. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. All right? And so, so people who are smarter than me have been very helpful, right? And helping us understand. But sometimes it means that we think that concepts are split up from each other when maybe they're not. It's not like a mistranslation. It just means we should remember that those spaces in your Bible are not Holy Spirit inspired. They're just meant to be helpful. It's not that they're wrong. And I had a professor in seminary. Um, she taught Philippians. I took a class on Philippians. And she really felt like it make a good case in the Greek that verses 4 and 5 really belong in the thought of verses 3 and 4. Um, that these, I'm sorry, of verses 2 and 3. That 2 to verse 5 really constitute one kind of thought. Do you know what the fancy... A theological word is for that, for one thought in the scriptures. Since we already said Euodia and Syntyche, let's say another word, pericope. <laughs> pericope. Yeah, so one pericope. Okay, enough of that. Come back down there. Euodia and Syntyche are one pericope. Okay, all right. Here we go. Let's walk, let's, walk through, let's walk through what Paul is saying here. Verse two, I plead with Euodia, I plead with Syntyche. To be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, some, some uh, uh, translations translate this. I plead with them to agree in the Lord. And it's not a bad translation at all. But I think we need to pay attention to the whole phrase. I plead with them to agree 
or be of the same mind in the Lord. I don't think what Paul is asking of them here, like let's just say they disagreed, these two powerful women disagreed on a ministry strategy. Like they felt like they should plant a house church in this part of the city. And another person felt like they should plant a house church in this part of the city, right? Let's just say like they disagreed on that for whatever reason. They disagreed with how the mission was moving forward. I don't think what Paul is saying to them is that they have to form the same opinion. Why do I think that? I think the translators in the New International Version got the sense of it. Be of the same mind in the Lord. See, what Paul is saying to them is, it isn't just about your opinion, Yodia. No matter how righteous you feel it is. And you, Syntyche, it's not just about your opinion, your strategy, no matter how right you think it is. Be of the same mind in the Lord. This is what it means when we say, not just that we're a family on mission, but we are a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered family on mission. What we're saying when we say we're a Christ-centered family is that there is one person whose lordship, voice, interests, desires, trumps the rest of the families. And he is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And there are things that he has specifically spoken to us about. But there's a lot that actually he hasn't. And those things can never become primary in the family of God. It's amazing how much Christians argue about guys that's like not even in the Bible. It's amazing. It's like, it will blow your mind, you know? Like all the things we care about that Jesus didn't care enough about to give us specific instructions on, right? We spend a lot of time arguing about that stuff, right? And it's not that that stuff doesn't matter. It's not that it's not important. We can have opinions. We can have desire. All those things are important. But he's saying, Yodia Syntyche, remember the main thing here, which is to be of the same mind in the Lord Jesus. To remember that this is a Christ-centered family. This is not a Yodia-centered family. It just isn't. It doesn't mean she's not important. But the family just doesn't center around her. It's not that Syntyche isn't important. It's just that the family doesn't center around her. Jesus is the center of this family. And I have found that when Christians stop making Jesus and his mission the main point, they get really petty about a lot of other things. On one hand, we've had plenty of conflict around here. On another hand, I think we've avoided a lot because Jesus and his mission are most important to us. So there's a lot of other things. And I can tell you, friends, can I tell you, as a leader who has had to form and articulate opinions for many years, like the more I follow Jesus, the less I care. I just care less than ever about so many things, you know? And it's just because the point is what Jesus is. He's calling them to remember what it is that, that is primary, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, I think I have this up on the screen, that what he's calling them to do really is to choose each other in the Lord with humility, joy, and gentleness. And I'll unfold this for you. He's saying to Yodi and Syntyche, I plead with you, choose each other again. Listen to what I'm saying. There's an author named Danny Silk who talks a lot about this. If we don't make this a choice, then we will just think we are being victimized by conflict. We will feel like the things that someone did or said or chose just victimized us. We will forget that we have a will. 
and that we can actually choose somebody else and they can choose us even in the places where we disagree. You know, in, in our ministry ecosystem, a phrase has developed, we'll just agree to disagree. It doesn't sound like that's what Paul is saying here, but I actually think it's expressing the same thing. We'll just agree to disagree. Why? Because what we agree on is Jesus. Because what we agree on is his mission. What's less important is my opinion on something or your opinion on something. What if we were the first to submit and get out of the way, the first to give up our own opinion? What if that's what we were eager to do, was to give up our opinion? What if that's the space that we actually believe God worked in, not the place of my opinion, and getting to see what I want to see done, but the place where I give up my opinion is actually where Jesus works. We'd be so eager to give up space quicker, right? So that the spirit of God could be at work. So he's asking to choose each other again. And to do it in these three ways, with humility, joy, and gentleness. The humility piece, why? Well, first of all, because Jesus is Lord. Agree with each other in the Lord. Remembering that the family is not centered around me or you. It's centered around one man who once was dead and now is alive. And we center around him only, right? That, that's gonna, if we really believe that, that's gonna change the force of our opinion, it's going to change the sense of self-importance behind our opinion. It's going to change the tone of our opinion, right? If we really believe that Jesus is the main deal, right, then a lot of other things are going to change, right? So that's one piece. But then look, in verse 3, yes, I ask you, my true companion. Now, scholars have asked, who is Paul writing to? Because the, the rest of the verbs in the book of Philippians are to the plural you, and he says, you, we, and this is how it gets translated into English. When we say you, you, when I say you all are the gospel tab, it's a plural you, right? Well, that's, that, I said verbs, I meant pronouns. That's, that's the, what, how he talks here, except all of a sudden here he mentions my true companion. And it's like, well, who is he talking about? There is a chance that maybe the receivers of this letter knew who he was talking about, some leader in the church. But most scholars think, that now he is talking to the family as a whole and saying, help these women, which is going to require something of these women. And it's going to be to let the family help them work out their issue, right? This is going to require humility. They might even have to listen to the people they're leading to let the people they're leading help them work out this issue, right? So humility with God, humility with each other. But then I think, I think my professor was right when she said that verses four and five probably belong in this section about conflict because all of a sudden, and this is one of the most like quoted out of context verses ever. Uh, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. It's like, it's like what we tell people who we don't want to listen to their pain. You know what I mean? It's like rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again rejoice, right? It's just like what we say when we get out of a conversation. But I think Paul is actually saying here that somehow joy will create the pathway between the conflict. Joy over what? Maybe it's just gratitude in what Jesus has done. Gratitude that no matter what is involved in this conflict, my soul is saved. No matter what happens here, my eternity is secure. Doesn't it make the thing at hand far less important? 
when we remember that these big things have already been taken care of, right? Um, maybe, maybe, get this, maybe it's gratitude about the other person. Yodia and Syntyche had been in ministry together. Remember Paul saying, friends, rejoice. Do you remember the churches we planned together? Do you remember what God did through you too? Do you reflect on that? Remember, I've seen Christians end up in places of conflict after serving together. It's like, don't you remember the things you saw together? Can't you be filled with gratitude for that? Can't you remember the way that God worked among you? That gratitude is going to change our tone. It's going to change the way, right, that we are engaging the conflict. And there's something about gratitude that just lets us let go and not hold on to other things so tightly. So I think, I think that's part of it. And then the last one is gentleness. Or in some translations, it's translated reasonableness. In verse 5, it's a rare word in the New Testament, this word gentleness. And the gist of it, the connotation of it, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The gist of it is, do not hold each other to the letter of the law. He's saying to them, let your reasonableness. Paul is saying to these two women, I hope there's room around you for people to not have to get every last little thing right. I hope there's room around you for people to grow. I hope there's room around you for someone to say something a little off or to not word something exactly the right way or to make a decision that wasn't the right decision. He's saying, let your reasonableness, your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because it's a mark of humility, right? It's only the fragile ego that demands that everyone around them get every single little thing right, right? And by the way, underneath that ego is incredible blindness to the places where they're not getting it right, right? But when we can know that we're loved, and this is going to lead to where I'm closing, when we know that we are loved, which has to be the source of of handling any of these conflicts, it means that we know that we were loved, not because we got every little thing right. Come on, none of us are around Jesus because we said everything right and because we made all the right decisions. Because We're around Jesus because his blood made room for us around God, right? And that's why we're here. That's why we're around. And if if that is really, if we really believe that, then there will be corresponding room in our lives for people who don't say everything right, who don't get everything right, who made a decision. Because this could have been about ministry, Yodia and Syntyche. It could have been about ministry, and they went and did different things, and one of them might have a big fat, I told you so, somewhere deep down in their spirit, right? Because it didn't work. You know what I mean? It's like I told you. One of them could have gotten it right. You know what I mean? Paul's saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let there be room around you, even for people's failures. And I love this. The Lord is near. I think this is Paul's concluding sentence in this section, even though it's not laid out this way in our Bibles. The Lord is near. Now, certainly he's talking about the second coming of Jesus, which in the minds of the New Testament writers, the fact that the skies can break open at any moment and Jesus can come has all kinds of implications for how we live our lives now. The seriousness with which we take every day, the, the uh, urgency to complete his mission, all those things, there's implications, right? We want to be found faithful, 
right, when he returns. And so it's a motivation for a certain way of life, right, the fact that Jesus could come. But I think Paul is also saying, by the Spirit of God, Jesus is already near. The Lord is near. He's, he's close to you. He walks among you. You know his presence. His presence is among you. He's saying, Yodia, Syntyche, wow, we did some great things in Philippi together. Planted some churches. And now I'm pleading with you to be of the same mind, to be reasonable with each other, to be filled with joy about your relationship with each other, and to, most of all, turn your eyes onto Jesus. Because if you do, I bet this conflict will feel and sound a lot different if you remember that he is near. And friends, this is what I want to leave you with because you hang out with the gospel tab long enough. You hang out with the Greenhouse Network long enough or just the church, forget us, just the church. Eventually, this is going to happen. Eventually, you're going to disagree with someone. And, And listen, we have a lot of people around here who really believe in what they're doing, who have prayed for what they're doing. And and it's easy, though, for that zeal, that fervor to mask what is just our egos, right? Um, Even for us, we can trick ourselves into thinking that the thing that feels like we righteously desire is actually just us wanting our way. Um, And so the Lord is near. This is really the message I have for you today. When the conflict pops up, and it will, remember that the Lord is near. He is near to you. And what does that mean? It means that for whatever that conflict is, whatever that hard conversation was, all the resources you need for it are in that person, Jesus. Look at him. Our tendency in conflict is to immediately look inside, especially if we were hurt, right? We want to look in there and our feelings and my opinion and what I think and, you know, all this stuff. I mean, I do it too. I do it. I do it. You do too. And... (laughs) And we get all introspective, right? But the Lord is near. It's like, look up. (laughs) The Lord is near. And whoever is first to give space in the conflict to say, you know what, let's do it your way. You know what, let's do your idea. We're actually creating space. See, that scares us because we're afraid that person will have more power over us. But that's that's not what the New Testament teaches about weakness. Whatever we give up, it's why we're multiplying sites here. Whatever we give up, whatever space gets created, Jesus will just fill with his presence. And what if our role is not to plan and get everything right and execute all of our desires and longings and all this stuff? What if our role is just to make room for Jesus? See, if our role is just to make room for Jesus, well, then we'll get out of the way. We'll make room, right? Because we'll trust it. So, the Lord is near and all of the resources are there. So I think I have this on the next slide, Lily Kay. There are enough resources in Jesus for the conflict, for you, for them, and for ministry. Jake, if you could come play, that would be great. I'm just going to wrap up here. First of all, for the conflict itself, when the Lord is near, when Jesus is near, from the get-go, you can believe that there's enough resources in his love, in his fullness, for that conflict And here's some of what I mean. He loves Yodia, and he loves Syntyche. If you're you're a parent or a grandparent, or even if you've worked with kids in some other setting, you know the experience of two kids coming to you and disagreeing about something, 
And in, in your objective place, you might be able to say, yeah, they shouldn't have said that, or they shouldn't have done that. When my kids come to me, it's often, I can see right or wrong often in both of their opinions. But my love is unflinching for them. The rightness or the wrongness, we make conflict about who's right and who's wrong. I think in Jesus' eyes, it's about who's loved. And Yodia is loved. Syntyche is loved. And it doesn't mean we're not going to disagree, but it does change things. And here's why. It's because it means that in his love, with a third party in the mix, it, it means that I can be, sometimes we'll use this word in our gospel tab, staff, when we're talking about conflict, that I can be differentiated from you. What it means is I can remember that you aren't me and I'm not you. And sometimes we're going to have to agree to disagree because we're different people. And why is it safe to acknowledge that? Because Jesus is who he is. So I don't have to be you. And you don't have to be me because he loves us. And what this means is I don't have to manipulate you into my opinion, either through control or in some kind of passive way. We all have our own ways of manipulating. Some of us get louder. Some of us retreat. But a lot of us know how to manipulate in both those those spaces. Um, And in in both of those spaces, we can say, you know what, I don't, I don't need you to agree with me for me to love you because Jesus loves you. Because the word on your worthiness has nothing to do with if you agree with me or not. The word on your worthiness has to do with Jesus dying on the cross and coming out of that grave and pouring his resurrection life onto you like he did me, right? And by the way, when we're differentiated that way, when I don't have to manipulate you, let me tell you what it will do. It means I will have the courage to say true things to you. Because I don't have to manipulate love out of you either. Even if you stopped loving me today, Jesus wouldn't. So that does give me the courage to say true things. It means I can tell you where I am hurt. I can tell you what I wish you hadn't done. I can tell you that I wish you hadn't said that tell you, I don't think that's going to work. I can be honest without you having to agree with my honesty. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's because in the background, or rather over on top of all of this conflict, is one who loves all of us, Yodia and Syntyche, with a perfect love. And there's enough resources in him. It takes the pressure off of some of these conversations. There's enough resources for them Friends, uh, someone just remind me, I was, I was irritated at someone recently, and a friend, uh, more than a friend, it was my boss, it was our district superintendent, he, <laughs> he, said, he said to me, he said, Joel, few of us do what scripture says, which is to first examine the log in your own eye, and then go to your brother and sister. And if we would just do that one thing that Jesus said, to first examine the log in our own eye and then go. We often go first, right? And, and, and I don't think what you, notice how Jesus words that. This is in Matthew, but notice how Jesus words that. He doesn't say not to go and not to have the conversation. He just says, first, have you looked at what's sticking out of your own eye, a log? Look at that first because it will change your tone won't it? 
It will change your approach. It will change how aggressive or not aggressive you are. If you first examine the log in your own eye. I couldn't believe it. One of the best books I've ever read of forgiveness was written by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Just passed away not that long ago. It's part of leading the civil rights movement in South Africa. And he wrote this book on forgiveness. Few people more qualified to speak on this topic than him. And... And he and his daughter wrote the book. And his daughter, get this, Desmond Tutu has been like arrested, spit on, his humanity, you know, um, you know, challenged by racist people. I mean, all this kind of stuff. And he, here he is writing about forgiveness. But his daughter, um, I, I'm not remembering the details of the story, but someone very close to her, it may have been her husband, was murdered in her house. This is post-apartheid, post-Truth and Reconciliation Commission. This is just her life. And it's like, man, I look at their lives, and I'm like, man, God will deposit these stories on the earth of radical forgiveness. And I couldn't believe it, but when I read their book on forgiveness, they're actually saying in the book, we are not saying that if you've been abused, you should absorb that like it was your fault. And there is a psychological tendency to do that. So we have to guard against that. You didn't cause the abuse. And yet they're saying that the only path to forgiveness is somehow still to recognize that abuse might not be our fault, but we have contributed to the sinfulness of humanity in other ways. And to hear them say that, that's crazy talk. But first examine the law in your own eye. It, why? Why is that necessary? So that we feel shame? No, that's not it. It's because as we examine this huge log sticking out of our own eye, we recognize that we have been recipients of God's love. That he loves us. And then as we approach that person, the other person, the them, we can have patience for their journey. We can have patience. For, aren't you glad? How many of you are glad that Jesus had patience for you? Come on, aren't you glad that Jesus had patience for your words, for the things? Oh my goodness, do you know how many times I've messed up in ministry? It's so bad. You know what I mean? Like, all the things I've done wrong, and somehow God still wrote a story out of it. That's part of examining the log in our own eye. Before we go to Yodia or Syntyche and be like, we think you got it wrong. It's like, well, I got it wrong too, and God still used me in that. And then for us, Listen, here's why the the Lord is near. I'm telling you, in conflict, the Lord is near. Why is that important for you in the conflict? Well, first of all, because sometimes you will need forgiveness. Because you say things wrong too. As you examine the log in your own eye, you will find that you need forgiveness. That there was, I I don't know, when I'm in conflict, I play all kinds of silly games with my mind. I, I know I felt ill will towards someone, but I think I concealed it. So I think I get a pass on what's in my heart. That's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches that out of our mouths comes what is from our hearts. So if I was wrong in my heart, no matter how much I thought I concealed it, right, with the person, the issue was my heart, right? And by the way, I've met people who are like, yeah, the way to deal with that is I just need to be real. I need to let come out of your mouth. It's like, no, 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 no. What's in your heart is poison. <laughs> Don't let it come out of your mouth. You need to deal with what's in your heart, right? <laughs> you need to deal with what's in your heart. Don't just say it as some like cathartic thing. I'm glad I got that off my chest, right? It's like, deal with what's in your heart, right? 
And so sometimes we will need forgiveness. I don't know what happened with Yodi and Syntyche, but I bet one, probably both of them, needed the forgiveness of Jesus. The Lord is near. Um, and then sometimes we'll need comfort. The Lord is near because we do get hurt, friends. And I wish I could tell you you weren't going to get hurt at the gospel tab. It's not true. I wish I could tell you you won't get hurt in our network. It's not true. You will. People will say things to you. They'll do things. It's crazy how this happens, even without us realizing it. I'll I'll probably know by tomorrow, but I'm pretty sure I hurt someone over this last weekend. And, And it's something I didn't even think of. I just missed it. I just completely missed it. And I probably will have to offer them forgiveness. But where I need, I'm sorry, I offer them an apology and ask for their forgiveness. But it's like, where I need forgiveness, whether that person can give it to me or not, I'm so glad that the Lord is near and that I can get it from Jesus, right? And if that person's hurting, then they need the comfort of Jesus. all Because I might not have the words to reverse that pain. Think about this. How many times has someone hurt you and we're trying to extract the right words out of the other person so that we feel better? Does that ever fully work? I feel like it always gets to like 70 or 80%, right? And then, then you walk away from the conversation still thinking, I don't think they knew how hurt I was. You know what I mean? The truth is they almost never do. It's the truth. It's your pain. And the only person who really knows is Jesus, right? And he can carry that pain and give you comfort. And then for the ministry, this is where I want to close. I, I like to think about, a lot of my conflicts have happened in a ministry context, this is a ministry team, a church planning team. So I like to think about this, that Yodi and Syntyche had some kind of ministry disagreement about church planting or whatever. Man, when we disagree about ministry, it's so easy to spiritualize everything. Well, this is what God said. You don't really know. Come on. <laughs> like, you know, I, this is what we should do. This is what, and then we disagree and everything feels so high stakes. You know, when I was first in ministry, everything felt so high stakes. It was like, if we don't do this this way, if I can't convince the board of this, if I can't convince the pastoral staff of this, then everything is going to fall apart. If we can't keep this program or end this program, or, and we attach all of this weight and this significance, like everything is super important. Guys, it's just not that serious. That's what I'm learning in ministry. It's just not that serious. You know what I thought of as I was reflecting on this? In my family, like my biological family, me and Chelsea and the kids, if you want to see a circus, watch us try to get out the door. Like at any time. Like, I'm like, kids, are you ready? And my son is like, yes. And I come downstairs, he doesn't have a shirt or shoes on. And then, then I feel crazy. You know what I mean? So I'm like, Wait, am, I, am I missing something about the definition of readiness? Or am I seeing you wrong? Or like, whatever. And so like, we're always like trying to get out the door. Guys, Jesus has been trying to get this family out the door for like 2,000 years. That's, that's who we are. That's who we are in this story. He's like, come on. He's like, come on. Oh, we're ready. You don't have a shirt on. No shoes on. Right? Like, that will be good. It's snowing. That's that's Jesus with us for the last 2,000 years. And listen, and listen, here's my point. Here's my point. This stuff still gets done. Somehow, we are closer to the Great Commission being completed now than we were 2,000 years ago. People still get healed. 
People still come to faith with a bunch of people who can't even get out the door. And here, here we are thinking all of our stuff is so important. Like every decision the kingdom of God hinges on or something. I think Paul is saying the Lord is near. It's not that serious. As a matter of fact, it's, it's the weakness of the family that God delights in using. It's, it's these half-dressed people who think they know it all called teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> that God is using, right? Um, that's who God is using. Okay, um, can you close your eyes? I just want to end in. A, who, who is actually ending the service? Okay, can I do something? Okay. Um, I just feel like there's particular application in the room for the message that I just preached. And um, we do need to protect each other's dignity. And sometimes we process, quote unquote, our conflict with people in a way that does not protect the dignity of others. Um, and, and we do know the difference, by the way. There's, there's mothers and fathers in the faith that you can process conflict with, and it's not gossip. And here's why it's not, because you know they'll say the truth to you. They'll tell you to humble yourself. They'll tell you, you got to go ask for forgiveness. That kind of person, you're not gossiping to them. Um, but there's other people we're just trying to get on our side. You know? um, but I just feel like the Lord is near. The Lord is near. For every conflict represented in this room, the Lord is near. I think the invitation is to choose each other. Why? Because Jesus chose us, friends. He chose Yodia. He chose Syntyche. And every time you choose somebody over your ego, over your demand of rights or whatever, every time you choose someone, you actually experience more of his love because he chose them too. Sometimes we're like, oh, but Jesus, you don't know what they did. Oh, he knows, he knows. And there's comfort for you, but he actually knows more than you. It's like for him, it's like, no, you're upset at this person for this one little thing. It's actually worse than what you see. And I'd still chose them. And in you, it's actually worse than what you know. And I still chose you. So Lord, just right now, we just invite your love into these conflicts. Lord, I just feel you pleading for us to choose each other once again because you chose us Lord fill us with joy rejoice in the Lord always I say it again rejoice we choose not just to remember the painful things that were said we remember the good memories the laughter the checking in on each other the meals together we remember those things. They were imperfect too, but we remember them. And Lord, in choosing that other person, we choose also your gentleness, your reasonableness. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Lord, forgive us for keeping ledgers on each other, for remembering all the things that were said and the tone that it was said in and what they should have done or didn't do or 
the ministry design that we would have picked or just all these things. Forgive us for keeping ledgers on each other when you haven't kept a ledger on us. If you, oh Lord, kept a record of sin, who could stand? With you, there is forgiveness. And therefore, you are feared. But we just pray for that spirit of grace to fall on us today. Lord, over the years as I've prayed for this family, the gospel tab, and I, you know, just where I sit in the life of the church, there's these seasons, I just see a lot of conflict pop up in different places. And I don't know, and I actually I don't even feel like that's where we're at right now, but there's been these seasons where that's popped up. And Lord, I've just prayed over the years, Jesus, settle the sheep. Settle the sheep. Settle the sheep. They're worked up. They're anxious. It's actually the next verse Paul says, don't be anxious. A lot of our conflict comes from our anxieties. Don't be anxious. But in everything, prayer and supplication. Jesus, help us to pray instead of just use our words to fix something. We need you, Jesus. And Lord, I just believe this. People release opinions, release space, release their way, release ground, release ministry designs. Their reward is that they've made more room in our movement for Jesus. And Lord, you do see and you will reward Everyone who gives up anything for you in the kingdom, you will repay them. So Lord, make us eager to give up things here for a greater reward there. And to believe, Lord, that that's actually where you're working. We trust you in it, Jesus. Amen. I'm so not aware of time right now, and that's probably not a good thing. Um, Kiara, why don't you come? You're good? Okay. Okay, are there prayer ministers? Okay, if you could come forward. And friends, I would just say, if you want to receive uh, prayer today for anything, for any need, if you need healing in your body, or if you need, there's, uh, there have been some incredible stories lately of financial provision. So I just want to point that out. Um, if you have a financial need, um, I think this is something God is doing in our community right now. It's so kind and gentle of them because we're a community that really has embraced poverty as a way of living, and I think in a healthy way. But Jesus is also like coming close to us and being like, oh, I love to pour out my stuff on the poor, right? And so, um, so if that's you and you want to pray for, uh, you know, I don't think I've ever said anything like this in church, but seriously, like if you need like a new vehicle, I just heard an incredible testimony. Uh, recently, if you want some of your debt erased, get that prayed for. Um, but I would also say, um, if you are just like, I need grace to forgive somebody, <laughs> I mean, then just ask for that too. All right? Okay. Go in his grace. The Lord is near. That's my benediction over you. The Lord is near. Go in his love.